Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello and Happy New Year to you all. We're back after a Christmas period of brutally contrasting fortunes, returning after a bit of a hiatus, broken up by our WGT Q&A on New Year's Eve Eve, uh, to bring you a look at the second half of the season, aided and abetted by the excellent Adam Hotcroft, who we're delighted to have on the pod today. Also, of course, I'm joined by Nick. You right, mate? Good New Year? Yeah, I had a really good uh, New Year's. Thanks, Tom. Um, but I'm ready now for 2019, ready to kick on with the second half of the FPL season. Uh, just to say quickly, of course, that we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL and use Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you'd like to listen and subscribe. So welcome to the pod then, Adam. It's great to have you on board. Uh, for those that don't know you from Twitter, would you mind introducing yourself to the good people? Yeah, of course. So firstly, uh, thank you for having me on. I think it's my eighth season now uh, doing FPL. Um, I've, done, I've, I've got a fairly decent track record. So I've been in the top 10K on five occasions. Um, I think last year was my worst season. So I hit rock bottom last year. So it was, I think it was 30, 32K. But I'm hopefully going to bounce back this year. So I'm, I'm up around the 6K mark. Um, had an all right start to the season. I think that said, you see other people on Twitter that are in, you know, the top hundreds that, you know, makes you feel that you're maybe not doing as well as well as some. But o- overall, fairly fairly content with how things are going. I think on Twitter, um, I've only really been on Twitter since around March April time, and it really took took off when I started posting stats. And I think a lot of people seem to to find them relatively. Uh, interesting it's all stuff that I research and look at anyway so I thought I'd just start sharing it with the community and I mean that's really where I got involved with the community and it's been you know I've got to say I really enjoy interacting with the managers on there I love the difference of opinion I know some people don't necessarily like being challenged I love that I think it's uh, I think it's healthy and in some cases it's it's good to have new ideas or, or actually to think well, actually maybe I am wrong on that because um, I don't think you'll get everything right in FPL Brilliant. Cheers, Adam, and uh, welcome to the pod. Excited to have you on and hear your thoughts this week. Adam is at ahopcroft13 on Twitter. So on this pod with Adam here, we'll of course be discussing stats and their usefulness to FPL managers. What's worth considering, what's not, before using what we learn to maybe help identify some individuals managers should be considering now, or ways in which we can use stats to answer some of the burning questions out there um, as we head into the second half of the season. Yep, sounds great. And uh, thanks for all the questions again, everyone. Um, so let's start with the game week reviews then quickly. Adam, as the guest, you first then. How did you get on over Christmas and um, how has your game week just gone? So I suppose game weeks 18 to 21, it was very mixed. Two bad game weeks sandwiched with two good game weeks. So I started off with a 39, game week 19 got 81, then 71 in 20 and 48 last game week I think the game weeks I did well just was purely because I got the captaincy right so I captained Hazard against Watford um, and I captained Pogba against Bournemouth and that had a huge huge impact on on, on my rank my ranks dropped a little bit so I started Christmas at three and a three point eight k I'm now around six and a half but to be honest I'm fairly content to be 
consolidated in the top 10k because I remember this time last year I don't even think it took me 20 odd game weeks to breach the top 100k and and so I'm, I'm fairly fairly pleased with where I am um I'm, there's a few things that I got wrong but um overall I think I benched Rashford last week um because I had quite a strong front front eight and decided to start him in bench Wampasaka over Bennett a few things like that but overall fairly content yeah, it sounds like you're doing really well there, actually, yeah, being in the top K and all. So, yeah, well done. Um, I had a pretty good Christmas as well. You know, a couple of really good game weeks. Uh, the last game week wasn't particularly good, though. I kind of backed Eden Hazard, I guess, in a big way. Tried to put aside my past differences with him and sort of make a neutral what I saw as an unobjective decision that he was the best person to bring in this game week. Perhaps I should have stuck with my objective opinions on Hazards all along because he uh, proceeded to blank. And I also gave him the captaincy armband as well, which was a bit of a mistake. So probably should have stuck with Aubameyang for that. So it was a minus four as well, 48, uh, which was a red arrow, but um, sort of down to about sort of 70k now um, overall rank, but quite pleased that I'm sort of, you know, in and about the top 100k at this moment in time. You know, Alonso delivered the points um, over the sort of Christmas period. Son and Pogba um, and Mo Salah sort of really smashed it for me. And they were kind of the key men, I guess, um, in my team that did really well. So, yeah, pretty decent Christmas. Uh, unlike you, I'm afraid, Tom, you've, you've kind of hit a little bit of rock bottom, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I really laid the smack down on my season over Christmas. I just, uh, after that ill-advised minus eight on the selling most Salah, I tried to kind of stick to that strategy, uh, tried to stick to the two big frontmen strategy in Kane and Aubameyang. And it manifestly didn't work. Uh, week after week, I just saw red arrows in front of me. Yeah, you know, this past week ended up with a 49 points minus four, brought Hazard in, same as you. And uh, yeah, he, he totally chokeslammed me into another red arrow. Um Annoyingly, this was the week that Aubameyang and Kane did decide to show up together. It's been a really, really poor period for me, and I'm just hoping I can bounce back over the the, the next kind of few weeks. And uh, getting Mo Salah in somehow is uh, perhaps the next thing I'm going to be looking at. And luckily, um, it's the thing that we've been talking about perhaps a little bit today in terms of talking about stats on the pod with Adam here. Just before we leap into our kind of uh, topic today, I just want to say that it's obviously a completely valid way to play the game using the eye test and your assumed knowledge of football. It's enjoyable. I get that. Adam gets that, Nick gets that, and we're not saying don't do that. But if you listen to us, you know that we love to use stats to evidence our assertions and our ideas, and with Adam on, it's a perfect topic to discuss today. So, starting off with Adam, in terms of stats, what do you look for and what do you think is important to remember in that regard? Yeah, I think think the first thing is putting everything into context. I think a lot of people will will look at the raw data and, and think, well, you know, maybe take XG is a really good example of this. They'll look at a player that's over or underperforming and think, well, because they're underperforming, they're bound to score goals. That's not always the case. I mean, you know, if you look at someone like Murata, you know, I couldn't care less what his XG is. I think you've got what the big thing is just got to put everything into context. So the key things that I would look at for attacking players would be shots in the box, shots on target, um, Big chances. I'd look at their XG, where they're getting the touches. I think penalty area and final third touch is a key. And I think it's just using all of that information to try and draw up a picture of the player and, and how they're generally performing. I wouldn't really take any of them in isolation. If somebody, I mean, if somebody's doing really well for, for shots in general, but everything else is low, it's probably a player that I wouldn't look at. I think the other thing as well is just knowing players really helps. Mitrovic is a, is a good example of this. So we know he takes a lot of shots. We know he has a lot of headed attempts. So if his shot counts high, 
it doesn't necessarily draw draw attention to him. But what it does do is if it's low, it really put me off owning him. You tend to look at each individual player based on um, what they've done previously. I think um, you've got to look at all the stats at the end of the day. And yeah, like you said, Mitrovic is, you know, a classic example of a of a player that looks really good if you actually look at the total goal attempts for all forwards yeah. because he's leading the way. But yeah, like you said, a lot of his um, attempts are actually headed attempts. He's had 33 headed goal attempts compared to Kane's 11 or Bamiyang's 5. And um, subsequently, his shot accuracy is uh, sort of down at 37.7% compared to Kane's 47.1% and Aubameyang's 44.4%. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of a clear indication that whilst he might be, you know, you know, breaking the bank in terms of one particular stat, you've kind of got to look at all of them, you know, put together. You've got goals, assists and clean sheets, which obviously are the most important sort of stats that everyone knows because those are the ones that generate points. But if you're looking at forwards, you've got to be looking at not only how many shots has the striker taken, but what is their shot accuracy, how many are inside the box, how many big chances he's made, and, you know, looking at um, the opponents as well and uh, how many big chances they're conceding. Yeah, exactly. And I think well, Bamiang's a really good example here of something that you kind of mentioned uh, just, just before we were starting as well, Adam, because like, one stat that I have been looking at more and more is open play XG. And over the last 10 game weeks, well, Bamiang's open play XG, so excluding the one penalty he scored, is 8.09. But he only scored four goals from open play. And uh, I know he was one player that you were maybe thinking of getting rid of, right, Adam? But you have had a look at him. And has your view changed on him after looking at those, that kind of data? It's a, it's a really difficult one. It's made, making it an even more difficult decision because my original plan and how I'd set everything up was to lose a Bamiyang this week and to go big in midfield. But when you look at, I mean, he had four big chances against Fulham um, and only scored once. He's getting a lot of chances. He's the main man at Arsenal. So he's going to be very difficult to, to let go. But I think the, the key thing is there are other factors and it's more about what else can you do with your team? Is the better value elsewhere? You're absolutely right. His stats have improved massively. I think when there was the debate, the whole debate around, it's probably about six or seven game weeks, wasn't it, Tom, where there's a debate around, do you go Kane or Aubameyang or both? Oh, yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it, was the other, it was the other way around. It was the Kane stats were better than Aubameyang's. And, it's, it, you know, and people were like, Aubameyang's not going to keep this up. And it's been a complete role reversal. He is typically a striker that, um, usually matches his XG because he gets a lot of close range chances. And if you watch Arsenal, a lot of his chances are from you know the close proximity to the goal. So yeah, it's diff- difficult one as as, as to, to to whether to keep him or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and that's an important point, isn't it? Like if you watch Arsenal and watch the football and you kind of understand what's going on in the wider context, like we always use the old kind of phrase that stats are part of, not the full picture. Uh, a really good example of this is, is Man United. With Pogba coming back to a more central role in that, little things like so, that and being aware of that is very important. Yeah, so it was, um, it was referenced. So when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over, I think it was after maybe the Huddersfield game and I was debating whether to bring Pogba in. He referred to his forwards as a front four looking at the heat maps, he's playing as a 10 rather in, as a number eight in, in midfield. So that was, a, that was a huge thing. And if you look at the way he's been talking about Rashford as well, the two players that um, Solskjaer's really been, you know, seeming to build a team around is Rashford and, um, and Pogba. So I think those sort of things do give the players a new lease of life. And you can see how confident they are um, in the first four or five matches that they've played. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think we've all been talking about this sort of tag team um, of sort of transfers between all of the premium assets and swapping them around and trying to fit in Kane or Bamiyang, Salah, you know, even Sterling and Hazard as well, all into our teams. And, you know, the United players have really helped us to a certain extent since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came on because of the fact that they're so kindly priced that, you know, they're very easy to for us to, to fit into our teams. You know, Rashford's only 7.2, Pogba's only 8.4, and, and Pogba's stats are pretty brilliant, actually. I think, obviously, the managerial change has really brought him out of it, but he's now sort of second in terms of goal attempts. He's sort of like, you know, right up there in terms of creating chances as well for his team. And, uh, yeah, definitely a, a good value asset, 8.4, someone that everyone should be considering. Hopefully, he's, he's declared fit for the, for the next match. So, I guess in terms of understanding like stats are obviously a record of the history and what's happened and melding those of the context is really important but I guess another dimension that's always involved with this is the fact that it, you know FPL is a game so you do have some football stats which are very very useful but there's also stuff like points per game isn't there that's really really important Adam that's something that you use a fair bit isn't it? Absolutely so I suppose a lot of my decisions are based off points per game and I can you can break that down home away versus top six versus non-top six and then you can actually match that up with the fixtures and, and make it an informed decision so it for example say sterling has got you know 10 points per game at home versus um, non-top six and he's got four matches coming up in the next six for them that would make him really appealing so that i mean that's how you you can use stats to make decisions but I think the points per game side of things, it really, if you actually look at it, it really does show the value of midfielders and, um, and defenders. I think the extra point for a clean sheet and a goal for midfielders over strikers really does add value. I think we looked at it before we came on. If you look at um, Kane and Salah, for example, I think Salah's classified as a forward next year based on what he's done this season, excluding bonus. He's getting the same amount of points as Kane. And there's a possible argument given... Kane's heat maps, he could go the other the other direction and be classified as a midfielder. <laughs> yeah. Um which yeah, which in, yeah. he'd be the top scoring player in the game by some distance. So but I think it, yeah, points per match is really, really important. And then obviously the form of players, points per match as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a key indication. I think obviously if um, Salah was priced as a forward, we might see some sort of change in terms of the value anyway. And it's looking likely that he's going to be reclassified as a forward next season. But we saw it with the likes of Anatovic and uh, Wilfred Zaha last season and they were classified as midfielders and they got switched to forwards, which perhaps would have dented their appeal. But they also didn't have the price hike that they would have deserved, which made them still possible value assets and definitely yeah that point around midfielders um, getting more points is quite important that's one of the key reasons why I've sort of stuck with Mo Salah and, and sort of more of an advocate perhaps for a, a premium midfield and um, yeah I think we were going to talk about teams um, to a certain extent as well sort of how we look at sort of team stats as well and I think one of the key men that I wanted to talk about briefly was Hazard so Hazard is right up there in terms of his um, stats you know he's producing a lot of shots but he's also creating a lot of chances and he um, he's uh, second for big chances taken for midfielders with 13 he's top for midfielders for chances taken with 56 which makes him a really appealing asset especially considering his goal threat as well but you have to look at his teammates and when he's playing alongside Morata I think this this off kind of you know puts you off hazard a little bit and you know from the eye test we can see that Morata's missing a lot of chances but you know the stats agree with that fact as well Morata's um, taken 13 big chances but he's only scored three of these which is under 25 percent 
Kane, on the other hand, has scored nine of 17 big chances this season, which is over 50%. So, you know, conversely, if you look at someone like Son, he's managed to actually pick up five assists despite only creating two big chances this season. So it makes you kind of look at the Spurs midfield and think, oh, they're actually quite a little bit more appealing compared to perhaps the Chelsea midfield if they're playing alongside someone like Morata. Though obviously it depends if Chelsea can pick up a forward that might, uh, in the January transfer window, that really might um, make a hazard more appealing again. Yeah, absolutely. I think just on team stats as well, I think, yeah, it can work with, with, with players in the same team. But I think where I really see it having a huge impact is where you're looking at captaincy decisions. So uh, there was a couple over Christmas. So, the, the, you know, captaining Hazard against Watford, where a lot of people were going, I think that was the week that um, Spurs played Wolves. And Wolves away in particular had only conceded eight or nine goals all season. They hadn't conceded many big chances. It was obvious they were going to sit behind and make it difficult and counter Spurs. And I think a lot of people went with Kane. And whereas if the opposite, if you looked at Hazard v Watford, Watford come forward at home, they allow a lot of space. And if you watch that match, Hazard had so much space and so many opportunities. Um, so I think that can help. Um, and obviously, Captain Pogba against Bournemouth, and it was exactly the same mentality. They'd shipped a lot of goals. I thought, you know, I thought he was going to get a lot of chances, you know, to to, to shoot and, and be involved in the play. I thought he'd be playing as number ten. So I think looking at looking at those two teams in particular, it you know it makes sense. And I'd, I'd urge you, if you when you're looking at captains to really look at the opposition, the number of chances they're shipping, the number of big chances. Um, I think sometimes as well, it's it's always it's worth looking at captain and players that are playing away from home because I think they potentially will get more space and I think space is the, the thing where, where you're more likely to score chances and um, particularly on the counter-attack. You were saying about Mo Salah perhaps having uh, Mo Salah owners having a bit of a maybe having cause for concern over the defences they're facing over the next few weeks. I, I, I think just to put this in context, just the next three fixtures for, um, for Liverpool are Brighton, Palace and Leicester. And those defences over the last eight games have performed relatively well. So Palace have got four clean sheets in eight. They've conceded the fifth least shots in the box and the sixth least big chances. And I think they put up you know, strong performances away at City and at home to Chelsea. So I think, I think you can still bank on Salah getting something, but I don't think it's going to be a four or five niller. Um, Brighton... You know, have only conceded six big chances in the last eight. They're quite tough at home. Um, you'd expect Liverpool to win, but I don't think they'll, they'll walk over them. And then Leicester, you know, have only conceded six goals in the last eight games, and they've played City, Chelsea. They've had a quite quite a, you know, they've had some tough matches. So I think where you, when you compare it with the likes of Kane, Kane's got Watford, Newcastle, and Fulham in over the same game weeks, or. Over, over, over a similar period of time. So I think it's, worth, it's definitely worth factoring in um, before you make the decision. Yeah, certainly. And I think kind of fixtures generally are, are where we should be really looking next because I mentioned before that stats are a record of what's going on. In FPL, a lot of the time, it is a game of prediction. It is a game of trying to anticipate the outcome. Like we talk a lot on Twitter about whether it's uh, luck or skill that plays the biggest role. And a lot of the time, I think that our answer would be that uh, the skill in FPL relies on you putting yourself in the position where you're mo- most likely to benefit from the luck when it goes your way. 
So in terms of fixtures, then, a very good example of this is perhaps Callum Wilson at Bournemouth. I was looking for him in the stats recently because I've been potentially looking at selling Kane. As, there may be a question on this later, Adam, for you. Um, but I was looking at a, a way of, of selling Kane to turn Martial into Salah. And I was kind of, you know, I had 7.0-ish 7. to kind of spend. So I was looking for him and he's completely fallen off. Like he is, um, in terms of, you know, attempts on goal, he is so far down the table that I had to do a control F to find him. Like absolutely power slammed by the by the very, very poor fixtures they've had. But you know, within game between game it's one and ten. Bournemouth only played one team in the top six or the top five as we've probably called it now. Well, United are coming back. Um in that period and um in that period, Fraser and Wilson were, were staples in many, many teams. And you still see it now. They've got a high ownership because you've got the, the teams who have stopped playing that still have them in who were active around that time. Fixtures then, to what extent are they useful in helping us to predict what's going to happen going forward, especially perhaps these players who are more vulnerable to kind of fixture strength? Um, Nick, what do you think about that? So yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. I always look at the fixtures, um, see who they're playing. Like you made a very good point on Liverpool earlier, Adam, about their about their fixtures at the beginning of the season. We create our fixture ticker, and it's all in green, which makes Liverpool look pretty decent in terms of their fixtures. But you know, Brighton are a tougher team to play. Crystal Palace are a tougher team to play. They've got eight clean sheets this season, which is matching Manchester City. It's more than Arsenal. It's more than Manchester United. You know, they've been pretty defensively solid this season and Leicester have too. So maybe it's not as easy as uh, we'd like to think. And conversely, um, I captained Mo Salah when um, they played Arsenal at home, which, you know, sounded like a bit of a gamble considering Arsenal are considered a top five team, but they've actually fifth for shots on target conceded this uh, this season. So it wasn't, too much of a gamble in terms of the underlying stats and managed to get a captain hall out of it as well. So it is always worth considering the underlying stats when you're sort of investigating into the fixtures. I'd agree with exactly what you said. And I think possibly the best example to show how fixtures can, can affect players is Mo Salah. So if you take the Arsenal game out, his, his record versus the top teams this season, I think he blanked in every other game. Um, so uh, for me... I think it has a huge, huge impact. And I think it's, if you bring a player in who's got good underlying stats, that's got a good fixture run, you can catch them before their form kicks in. So um, we've obviously seen it with Bournemouth as well. I think that, you know, what they lost eight in the last 10 or something in, in, in that region. And I think you could predict it that they had a really a fairly easy start. They will do well against teams in and around them, but they struggle against the top sides. Given that... I think at one point they had nine of 16 matches against the top six. That's why I personally sold, sold Fraser um, at, that, at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got rid of Fraser around then as well. To a little bit of a problem from the uh, Twitter side, but there you go. So um, I guess moving forward then, if we kind of take the steel chair of these stats and sit on it to create a, a utility and uh, give a little a few predictions for the future, I think it, can we try to pick out maybe uh, an MVP uh, in terms of the stats that we're seeing? How are the stats helping you to make that decision? We've just passed mid, midway point of the season, so I think looking at the whole the, the season on the whole. Um, I think there's been a few players that have, uh, have stood out. I think of the forwards, the player that, for me, that has stood out most is Aguero. And what's really interesting is he's played, I think it's four or five matches fewer than, than, than Kane, but I think he still had the most touches in the box boxes for forwards. He's, he's averaging four shots a game. 
which I think is um, you know incredible. And he's just just an all round great player. I think he's got he's got everything goals assists to his game. And I think given the situation City are in, he's likely to keep on playing. I know you're referring to Aubameyang there. Yeah, I think last eight matches his stats are, th- are, th- are through the roof. You can't really put a case against him other than he's got a couple of um, tough fixtures coming up. Um, in terms of MVPs, if you're looking across the different areas, I think one person to highlight, and I don't usually look at goal, goalkeepers that much, but Alisson has been incredible. He's made the odd mistake, but his save percentage is the highest in the league, 84%. He's only conceded 10 goals in 21 matches and 12 clean sheets. So, you know, it's a possible argument for going going for him as a, as a premium keeper there. I think, look at, I think looking at um, the, the defenders, one person, I think you could look at Doherty and, and Dean, who I, I know um, Nick might mention in a second, but Alonso's had a lot of stick this year. And I think it's worth fighting his corner a little bit. Um, I think points per match he's done well, but he's had the joint most goal attempts in the league with PVA. Um, He's hit the post is it four or five times, so he's been, he has actually been 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 unlucky. And the st- one stat that I look at for for defenders is, is touches in the final third and passes received in the final third. He is head and shoulders above any other player for those. So he's getting in the right positions. And I think when you watch him, he does look he does look dangerous still. And then the final ones, so I've got just a midfielder. Um, we've talked about him already. He's Pogba, and this this covers the whole season. He's had the second most shots of any midfielder. And what's really interesting, a lot of his shots are accurate. So his, his accuracy is 53, 54%. You know, considering he has a lot outside the box, he's pretty good. Um, he's better than the majority of other midfielders. And I think watching him, you know, he's taken that up a notch in the last three or four games. He's pushed forward into a 10 role. So I think he, he's one to watch going forwards as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And you can see the rush on Pogba, as we'll mention in the market forces. Um, in the interest of brevity, I'm only going to mention one guy um, who has really popped out to me, and that is uh, Pereira at Watford, a uh, football manager favourite of mine, who uh, has definitely been showing up in the uh, in the attempt stats uh, going uh, this year so far. And in the last six, he's had 17 attempts, 10 of which have been in the box, which is always a good sign for a midfielder. And he's playing wide a little bit, and his role has changed a bit as well. So he's not showing up as creatively as did before. In some ways, he's echoing what uh, Felipe Anderson did. So Felipe Anderson started the season as being a bit of an art creator. Yarmolenko then uh, got injured and then he moved to being more of an incisive player. And it definitely is the case with uh, Pereira as well. He's got, he's, he only cost 6.3. So he's a little bit of a, uh, maybe one of those enabler players or one of those kind of cheaper players who may be able to help you. And between game week 22 and 27, uh, they only play Spurs away in game week 24. Admittedly, there are kind of a few, uh, uh, the majority of it's jar away. They've got Crystal Palace away, Burnley at home, Tottenham away, Brighton away, uh, Everton at home, Cardiff away. However, the point that we that Adam made earlier about kind of teams getting perhaps a bit more space away from home yeah. may be very, very useful for him. Um, he takes a lot of shots in the box. You know, he could be quite a nice little differential for people uh, within that kind of uh, mid-range price bracket, which, to be honest, is a bit of a dead zone at the moment. Nick, what have you been looking at in this particular area? Well, you mentioned uh, Roberto Pereira. I think it's worth mentioning his uh, sort of namesake and uh, perhaps distant relation, Ricardo Pereira, has actually been uh, break, 
breaking the walls down recently, according to the market forces in terms of um, transfers in, you know, trying to bust that uh, template that we all have in defence. Uh, Pereira's actually been performing really well in terms of the underlying stats. He's had 115 tackles, which is uh, 35 more than any other defender this season. Um, second, actually, is Wan-Bissaka, who surely is going to have a big move in the summer, I, I predict, and, and a price hike in FPL. So we've been very lucky to have Wan-Bissaka for that 4.0 that we bought in for most of us at the beginning of the season. But Pereira um, has been performing brilliantly um, in terms of his underlying stats, as I said, and he's picking up the goals and assists and clean sheets. So he's definitely one to monitor um, in the short-term future. I think, for me, the stat MVP... Um, this season, though, has been uh, Mo Salah. I think he's definitely got the X factor. His, his stats have sort of been power slamming the rest of the sort of you know the midfielders out there. He's had 13 goals, which you know more than all other midfielders. Penalty box touches, 165, second only to Sterling with 169. He's top for shots and target with 33. Top for big chances taken with 19. Top for goal attempts with 69. Top inside the box with 50, and also top for minutes per chance out of all active minute midfielders with 25.5. And and yeah, um, like we mentioned, he's the top scoring uh, player in FPL. And that's even though sort of Kane and Aubameyang have scored more goals, the fact that he's a midfielder really makes that difference because he gets that extra point. And he's also picking up those extra points for clean sheets. And Liverpool are getting a lot of clean sheets at the moment. Yeah, definitely seems a case of buy, buy, buy for most Solaris. Just who goes over the top rate to buy him in? I've got a couple of hidden gems for you before we end the section, actually, Tom. So, Williams, one player I looked at, 7.2. He's been a bit of a road dog, perhaps, this season, just not creating that gold dust, though. 48 chances created, which is actually third for all midfielders. He's seventh uh, for big chances with seven. And he's matching Hazard for a chance every 28 minutes, which is uh, better than all other midfielders with regular game time. So, he's just as prolific with um, as creating those chances. He's also quite high in terms of goal attempts with uh, 37. But, you know, the thing is, I think if, if Chelsea can buy a striker in January, he could be a real bargain for the second half of the season at only 7.2. And yeah, I think the other defender that I wanted to talk about, um, as you mentioned earlier, Adam, is, is Luca Dean, who, who sparks a little bit of criticism following two blanks after his 17-point haul. But, you know, I think he's definitely value for money at 5.2. At 75 points, he's better in terms of points for value than Kane, Aubameyang, Salah, Hazard and Sterling. And as a defender, he's got that triple threat of goals, assists and clean sheets. And I think his goal threat is definitely there. We've seen it from the free kicks. He's had 22 goal attempts for 19, only six less than Walcott, so one of Tom's favourite assets from earlier in the season. Oh, no. um, <laughs> but um, it's the chances created that's most impressive with him with 39, which is uh, more than any other defender by a whole 11. And that means when Everton get clean sheets, he will always pick up those bonus points. And Everton's next uh, five are really nice, actually. They've got Bournemouth at home, Southampton, Huddersfield, Wolves and Watford. And I'm sure there's going to be some more clean sheets and more points for for Luca Dean in the next five. I've I've heard a few Southampton fans talk about Nathan Redmond. And I I can't remember which game. It was the Arsenal game. He looked, he he had a a, a decent match. Um, I think he's got a couple of goals and an assist in the last few. I think a 5.2 million, he could be somebody that's resurrected under the new manager. So at this stage, um, I think at that price range, I'd put Brooks ahead. But I think they've got a really good run of fixtures coming up. So I think he's definitely somebody to watch out on. I think the other one, and I do want to mention this player, is Marcus Rashford. And I wouldn't say he's necessarily a hidden gem, but I think probably what a lot of people have talked about is Renaissance under um, OGS. I think actually, you know, in the last eight matches, he's got four goals, 
and, and, and um, six assists. So he's been he's been really prolific even under Mourinho. He started to get a bit of game time towards you know towards the end of the Mourinho era as well. I think given you know if he's played in his right role and there's no reason he won't be based on what Solskjaer said so far. I think he could be somebody that could make a really, really strong case. Um, you know, as a number nine at Manchester United, a really attacking team with good fixtures, for 7.2.3 million, he could make a mockery of that price. And really, you know, he's got all the potential. Um, you know, he, he's, I think he's up there for shots, shots on target. So he, he could be somebody that, you know, I think, I think a lot of teams will be considering. Um, very creative as well, which which which, which I like. So I think he's he's gonna he's, he's in my team. He's gonna stay in my team, and I, to be honest, I back him to do really well. I think he'd be one that I'd need a minus eight to buy. Unfortunately, but, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. You know, he's top for uh, pen box touches over the last six with forty. Um, that's something that's very very important. And the versatility there with Rashford is very important as well. But anywhere across the front three, um, so feasibly could slot into however Solskjaer sets up. Um, if we're going to end end the section, I've got one more person to mention. It's Ashley Barnes, the number one Austrian striker in the Premier League. Um, he's uh, currently joint second for attempts in the box with sixteen. He's also second for big chances. He's had seven um, uh, over the last six of Aubameyang uh, with eleven up top. Um, decent fixtures coming up. They've got Fulham at home immediately, uh, Watford away, Man United away, which is probably less good, and then Southampton at home and Brighton away. Um, so he could be a player who could definitely be considered, especially with. Um, now sporting a two-week uh, a two-week injury absence by the looks of it, and um, he could definitely come into many teams as an enabler, or come into teams as uh, you know the second striker, which is kind of what I'm looking at him like. And it's nice to have that kind of um, kind of emerging player coming in in that kind of le- at that kind of level. And if we've you know we've said a little bit that the value seems to be elsewhere, and we'll definitely talk about this later in terms of team structure and response to one of the questions. If the value is elsewhere, um, then that is uh, that could be a good player to buy in. All right, uh, let's take a break there on the bombshell that Adam Hopcroft has uh, recommended Nathan Redmond to us. <laughs> we'll be back to you in just a second. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and we're going to do our feature section now. This is where we run for our uh, three regular things every week. It's the Market Forces, it's the Zombie League and it's the All England team. Uh, the first bit is our section where we use our FPL NTR data to describe the moves and shakes in the transfer market and the Market Forces. Uh, Nick is the man across numbers. What have you been seeing this week? So I'm going to start with um, a player actually at the top, uh, at the bottom of the top five transfers in for a change, but that's Hung Min Son. He's had um, over 80,000 transfers in this game week, but conversely, he's also fourth for transfers out with over 75,000 transfers out. So in terms of net transfers in, it's only actually 5,000 transfers in. And I think um, he's perhaps a key example of why the game it's not all about statistics, but you've also got to factor in the real world because um, if you had a sort of an algorithm or a computer-based macro, they'd be signing up Son as quickly as possible right now if they weren't already in the team because for the last eight or so uh, game weeks, Son's performances have been absolutely fantastic. You know, there's been plenty of goals and plenty of assists and he's been quite affordable as well for 8.8 million. However, most will be aware, maybe only a very small percentage of those who've actually transferred him in this game week uh, will be aware that it's his last game week for a, a fair while as he uh, shuttles off to the Asian Games and, it's, and Manchester United is going to be a bit of a tricky fixture um, actually anyway and um, especially now they've improved a little bit 
Um, and that might be perhaps the impetus behind the 75,000 or so who uh, transferred him out, considering the fact that, you know, his, his pending vacation and a tough fixture means that maybe it's time to get reared. For me, I've, I've got Son, but I'm going to be keeping him for just one more game week, see how he fares against Manchester United. Uh, but it's actually Manchester United players that are most transferred in uh, this game week. Uh, Rashford's top of the transfers in this game week with over 130,000 transfers in. Uh, Pogba's third with over 110,000 transfers in. I think Rashford, um, you mentioned him earlier, Adam, that you're a big fan. He's really hitting his strides with three goals and two assists in the last four games. And um, yeah, bargain price of 7.2. He can really act as an enabler to afford more premium strikers. Um, so what do you guys think about Rashford and Pogba? Uh, definitely keen. Reckon you can double up on Manchester United. Um, what do you think, Adam? Uh, I have. and I think, I think for the foreseeable, definitely for the next five, I think Spurs away is, I don't think it's as bad a fixture as, as, made, as, as, as can be made out. And I think the four after that are really good. Burnley, Brighton at home and then Leicester, Fulham away. So... Absolutely, I think they offer really good value, and I think this is a really good example of the fact with Mourinho leaving, it's it's left it's uh, resulted in a massive upturn on two players. So yeah, I'd, I'd be all up for uh, tag teaming them in. Yeah, excellent. Um, the uh, in between them, sandwiched in between them, in terms of transfers in, is uh, um, who we mentioned earlier, though uh, Ricardo Pereira, who's, who's really breaking the walls down of that defensive template. Um, he's had over. 110,000 transfers in this game week. Interestingly enough, it's uh, the defenders that are being sold are Doherty, Alonso and and uh, Laporte most heavily. Uh, we have over 50,000 transfers out for all, of, all three of those guys. And I think it's no surprise regarding um, Laporte and those that still have him probably should have sold him a while back, to be honest, as Manchester City can't really keep a clean sheet, it seems. But it seems a bit of a strange time anyway, considering they're Fixtures are improving quite dramatically now. They've got Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle up next um, for its difference again, perhaps for Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, Doherty and um, and Alonso. Alonso, I guess I can understand to a certain extent if you're trying to free up cash. Not really sure about the Doherty uh, transfers out. It kind of, it, to me, it kind of stinks of sort of like, you know, just uh, sort of, you know, just looking at the last game week and not looking over the course of the season, a little, little bit gung-ho perhaps. And, uh, that's the same, actually, for the top two transfers out players that I'm looking at uh, personally of bringing in in a week's time. And uh, it's Richarlison's top for transfers out with over 90,000 transfers out and Philippe Anderson's a close second with 87,000 transfers out at the time of recording. Yeah, I was a bit surprised, as I said, about that. Richarlison's a player I'm, I'm definitely thinking about bringing in. I mentioned um, Everton's brilliant fixtures upcoming. But it's, it seems like people are getting rid. You know, he's had um, sort of two blanks in a row, before that, it was a couple of five-pointers. So he's not you know, bringing in the scores, but his uh, underlying stats are brilliant. He's in the top five for midfielders for goal attempts, top five inside the box, actually second inside the box, and top five for shots on target. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit surprised by that. I know you own both those, Tom. So are you surprised to see those guys being sold or, or not surprised, really? Um, uh, not very much surprised to me anymore in terms of the market forces. Um, I can see, you always see these kind of uh, things every week. Like if a player blanks, he does seem to kind of appear at the top, especially if you have players, you know, like um, in a similar price bracket. So, you know, Pogba, I can see why people may be reaching Son, maybe reaching from Philippe Anderson, maybe reaching from uh, Richarlison to make that work. Um, Adam, you, what do you think about, about these sales? I know there's a few that of those players that you own. Maybe the top five are all in your squad, right? Yeah, the top five are all in my squad, so it's a bit concerning. I understand Son to an extent. I understand 
I think Richarlison, given his fixtures, is a, is a bit confusing. Philippe Anderson, I, I couldn't stand that. I'm, he's actually a player I'm considering selling, partly because I think they've got a couple of tougher fixtures in the next five. But also, I, I quite liked owning him when Anatovic wasn't in the team. I think Anatovic is the mate is the main man there. And I've got to sell someone if I'm going to be bringing Salah in. And I've got a fairly likes of Pogba and Hazard in there. Um, yeah, you've got. I've got. I've got. To, uh, somebody's unfortunately got to be the, the full guy. Is um, Jimenez in there as well? Did you say? Yeah, Jimenez and Hazard also in the top I, five. So I can understand Jimenez actually. So on paper, his fixtures are quite are quite good. But I think maybe this isn't the logic everyone's using. But Tammy Abraham is pretty much. It sounds like a done deal. Unfortunately, he's a Villa fan. So. That could have a positive or negative impact. I think personally, he'll play alongside, and he'll be, you know, Jimenez will be the guy that does a lot of the hard work with for Abraham to, to to finish off. But we, I don't know what effect that will have. And also as well, I think Wolves fixtures, whilst they look quite good on paper, I always feel the better a better counter attack inside, and I think they've got a few fixtures where teams will just literally go to Monu, and and try and play them on the counter attack, let Wolves have the ball. So I don't know if that lends well to Jimenez doing well. I mean, I'll probably keep so I bought him at 5.5 and he's 6.4 now. So, you know, he's returning okay for a 5.5 million player for me. So, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably stick with him, but Sal Anderson. Yeah, that totally makes sense. The same with Anderson. I mean, you saw that, um, you know, Arnaldo which went off after 19 minutes, but David Gold has since tweeted to say that he's he's fine and okay. So it, it just seemed like it was a precautionary move. Very unorthodox one from uh, from Pellegrini, but uh, nonetheless, seems like he'll be okay and still you know, prevents good value at 6.9. And as you say, with him being the main man in the team, it may be that Philip Anderson's output does diminish. Uh, the final guy to mention is Ryan Fraser. Um, he's also he's back in our uh, in our estimations. 107,000 transfers in. Um, for him um, another interesting one there I mean he hasn't been doing very much recently and as we mentioned earlier we sold him after a decent kind of opening run but after golden assist against Watford in that crazy match um, he has definitely kind of uh, re-entered a lot of people's thinking a bit of a strange one to some extent there too uh, with the man who holds the championship belt for eyebrow raising um, having a mixed fixture run to a game week 30 when fixtures get very very good for Bournemouth again when we're going to be seeing Wilson and Fraser being in every team um, but before that they play four of the top six uh, between games 20 and 29 as well as playing Wolves at home um, and I'm not too sure that that's probably the best move but equally you know it could really pay off the guy has been very creative this season has created more big chances than anybody else Okay, let's move on to the uh, the zombie league then. Uh, this is our section where we talk about, we check on the progress of our shambling zombies run by our unspecified fan members who live at our address as per FPL rules. Uh, this is our no chips, no transfers, no changes league. And Nick, how did your zombies do over the Christmas period? Yeah, they did pretty poor, I think, to be honest. <laughs> Last particular game, I think it's Red Flag City with them. They've got five in total, three across the defence. I've, I've had to call the undertaker for half the team, to be honest. But, you know, Arnie, um, Kane and David Luiz points um, meant that they managed to get somehow 40 points. I even got a one pointer from departure this week, which was fantastic to see. Um, no irony <laughs> meant at all there. Uh, how about your shambling zombies? How, how have they done, Tom? 
Yeah, they've been doing all right. They got 71 last game week as a few players are beginning to return to the fold. So Ericsson returns to the fold with a nine points for this week. You have Firmino with an eight point. So he's been returning over the last couple of weeks, actually. And uh, Armand Pereira uh, with a 12-pointer after assisting Jamie Vardy yet again this week. Over Christmas, done right. Uh, they've averaged about kind of 55, 56, something like that. Um, but, you know, overall, I think, once De Bruyne is back, we know Pascal Gross, who was the vice captain for the rest of the season, actually came back with an assist this week. So maybe it's going to start looking a lot better. Um, we just have to see. Uh, in terms of the zombie league itself, uh, things have changed around a little bit, actually. Um, so at the top is Arno Vieta flying the flag for, for Finland. He is the uh, Villa Ronca of the zombie league with 54 points this week. Captain Salah over Christmas has really, really helped him out. Uh, but this week it was Arnautovic with a 13-pointer. It was Kuniguero with a goal. It was Lloris in, in goal with a 7-pointer. And Dale Stevens, Nick, uh, someone that you great, greatly admire um, who scored a goal. And I believe you've got a killer stat on Stevens to share with us. Well, yeah, Dale Stevens. we all know that I think last season he had the least goal attempts of active midfielders. Um, and uh, yeah, this season he's repeating his uh, heroics. He's only had three goal attempts this season. Um, he's matching the likes of Carlos Sanchez, Phil Bowden and McTominay. I mean, he's had a chance every 382 minutes, which is the sixth worst in the league. Yeah, he still managed to outscore Eden Hazard this particular game week, which was uh, immensely frustrating for, for a lot of um, us Hazard owners, as you know. Yeah, exactly. And uh, later on in the league, uh, we've got the long-term leaders, Thomas Storhal, still going along well. He's second uh, with Zombie Storhal with a 60 this week. In third is Ushka's Zombies, Ushka Kaki with a 49. In fourth, it's Did I Win, Dr. Mister with 58. And in fifth, it's a new entry. It's Zombies, it's Susanna Topalian. Uh, she got a 66 this week, a double clean sheet from Tompkins, Juan Bissaka, and Arnautovic, Aubameyang, and Firmino up top did the business. All right, and the final thing to catch up on this week is the All England team. This is uh, back in the halcyon days of uh, of summer when we were all full of hope and joy to some extent, at least. We all thought it was coming home after Kieran Trippier converted against uh, Croatia, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Uh, we're managing them over the Christmas period, sort of in between a lot of Baileys. So you know, there were times when the manager didn't really look at the team and uh, didn't do too well but uh, also captain of Kane over Christmas has, has seen them do okay uh, this week they got 60 points uh, captain Kane uh, Sterling came in Antonio came in with an assist at the back Trippier and Shaw um, rested the points and Jamie Vardy with the goal um, also uh, did, did fairly well for them uh, winning that game against Everton all right let's take a break there guys and we'll move on to the questions who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist Mini League. If you want to join the league and you haven't already, the league code is 516-441. And there's been a lot of change actually um, since we last did our update. Lots of new names in the uh, top 10 or so, but um, that shows the competitiveness of the league. It's, it's still very tight at the top. Um, the top guy has 1417 points, but in 50th, um, you know, we have 1354. So it's only about 60 or 70 points in between the, uh, you know, point, uh, position one and position 50. So it can change any game week. But uh, number one at the moment is Salve Barro with the Mendigos. He did all right this game week, pretty decent score, 57, because uh, it was a low scoring game week anyway for many. Uh, Captain Kane and Rashford sort of being the key players. Um, in second, though, was um, Alex Suarez who's on the tail. He got 76 points with Al FC. Really decent game week. You know, uh, got a few differentials in there. Son, obviously, key. Uh, Kane um, and Rashford seem to be in a lot of these teams now in the top 10. 
Um, so Rashford, a real differential over Christmas, it seems. Uh, Kolasinac and Alonso got in points of defence as well. Uh, third was a free pay person with AC Utofotofu uh, with 69 points. Hopefully I said that right. Uh, fourth, a more familiar name uh, for us, um, Ashley Humphreys being right at the top all season uh, with Kater Moy Hart. Um, he got 63 this game week. And um, rounding up the top five was George White with Snoop Ingog um, with 57 points. Yeah, very well done, guys. Uh, so let's move on to the questions then. And the first question this week comes from a few people, actually. It's uh, Tom Campbell, Alex Ball, friends of the pod, General uh, Zod and FPL JJ, uh, who ask us to talk about keepers with uh, Gunn at 4.3 and Greatar at 4.2. Uh, come into prominence and uh, Adam as well you mentioned uh, uh, Alisson earlier on as being a very good option so uh, a bit of a hot topic at the moment especially for those people who perhaps own Fabianski or maybe even own Edison Edison. get rid of him guys what what do you think about keepers and uh, what's maybe the ideal setup in your mind going forward Um, Adam do you want to start with this one you mentioned Gaetar there I think he's a really good option if he's it looks like he's number one at Palace now Um, I think 4.2 million three clean sheets in the last five yeah, good pedigree coming into this league. I sort of tweet on that earlier. So I think he's a really good option. It's, I'd possibly consider um, at that price, I mean, he's only 0.2 more than Hamer, to bring him in to partner Fabianski. And I think he covers a couple of, of, of um, tough games for Fabianski there. Um, in terms of my ideal setup, um, this is the first time that I've, I've just had a set and forget 4.5 million. And I've got to be honest, it makes, it does make life a lot easier. And there's been a couple of, um, you know, times where I've got um, decent points for Fabianski. So I'd, I'd probably like doing that and actually saving the, the 0.5 to invest elsewhere. I think there is possibly an argument for, for going with premiums. We saw it with De Gea last year. Alisson this year has been a, you know, revelation. He's up there with with, with point scoring. So, I, I think having one option personally is what what I what I favour. Um, I think if you can get it right, absolutely every week and get all the fifty fifty decisions right, you'd possibly end up beating Allison for the for the money saved. But there's a lot of decisions you have to get right, and I'd probably say a lot of luck in there as well. Yeah, certainly. I think Allison's definitely been one who's been high on my list of players to bring in if I do have the chance. Like I bought Fabianski in a few weeks ago and yeah, it's it's not been the best. You know, his currency as always is saves uh, Fabianski and he's still in the top six or seven for that, but it's not been as good. Um, I mean, you mentioned that Allison's uh, shots to save stat, which is absolutely ridiculous. But over the last six, you've got Mr. Greater, um, 81%. So he's not very far off Allison in that regard. Palace, as you mentioned earlier on, Adam, have uh, really tightened up. So a number one goalkeeper for 4.2, that's, uh, that, that's definitely very, very interesting. It could be something which could facilitate a lot for me and I suspect a lot of other managers as well. As you mentioned, 0.5 saving on Fabianski or 0.6 saving depending on what your buy price is. Um, Nick, what do you reckon to do with goalkeepers? There are some very interesting uh, goalkeeper, cheap goalkeepers appearing. I think Button's obviously the other one that's sort of doing well in, in Matty Ryan's absence, though we all know that he's only going to be there for a, you know, a short term until Ryan comes up. Uh, comes back. I think my concern with these guys is that it could be one mistake and then there's something else of the reckoning again and we can see, you know, Hennessy perhaps recalled or McCarthy or even Fraser Forster sort of appear 
sort of back in the reckoning um, within the team. And I think that's my concern. I did uh, suffer actually last season when I went to try to go ultra, ultra keep with goalkeepers. I had Elliot and Hennessy one particular game week and neither ended up playing. So I'm more of a fan really of a set and forget 4.5, maybe a 4.5, 4.0 model. And if my goalkeeper's going to be dropped, I'll throw in another one, but I don't really want to rock the boat too much. And I certainly don't really want to waste my transfers on a goalkeeper, even if it looks like Fabianski's out of form. Uh, to a certain extent, or West Ham are out of form. Um, you know, I, I'm still happy it, him being there, picking up the odd save points and, and returning occasional points. I mean, in terms of points per value, he's still massively up there in terms of all the goalkeepers. And, you know, he's outscoring the majority of the premium goalkeepers. You know, he's only, he's ahead of like De Gea, who's had a bit of a shocking season. And, uh, you know, he's, he's up there with sort of Kepper and... Uh, um, only Allison's really smashing it in terms of the premium goalkeepers. I think there's definite points for value with Fabianski and, and Efridge as well, really doing well this season for Cardiff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kepa's also quite a good one if you if we kind of look at the context of what you were saying, Adam, earlier on about um, Chelsea being very, very good. Also, very good shots to save ratio. At 5.6, he could also be a player who could play a role for a lot of people. Okay, uh, moving on to the next question. And quite an interesting one, actually. One we've spoken about a little bit off stream, too. Uh, Matthew Jones, Matthew Penike asked, which team structure is best for the rest of the season? And Adam, you've definitely been thinking and you've definitely mentioned a few times that we're looking at divesting from the premium strikers and pushing the money backwards. And I know Nick, you've got a, a long-term love of being big at the back. So quite an interesting uh, discussion to be had here. Uh, Adam, first, what do you think in terms of that kind of team structure conundrum? I think you can do well regardless of your team structure. Because I think this year there's options at, at all levels. If I was wildcarding and resetting now, the one thing that I'd almost certainly do is only have two forwards maximum, possibly 4-4-2. Maybe even four, five, one. It'd be the the one the the the, the formations I'd really consider. I think there's a lot of value at the back. Um, Nick mentioned Pereira earlier. You know, he's getting over five points a game, which is which is brilliant. Um, you know, people like TAA. I mean, having the double up of of Liverpool defence alongside a Chelsea defender, and you've got you know when Leicester have good fixtures, it could make sense to have them. So I think I think. You're going to get more value out of them than you are maybe your fifth midfielder, I, I would say, other than when Ryan Fraser had his real purple patch at the start of the season. Um, George Gabriel has just posted something on Twitter, and I've retweeted it because it's a, it's a brilliant tweet where he's basically looked at um, points per million and come up with the best team that you, you could have for the, for the season. So I think that's a 4-4-2 formation. Um, it includes a Bamiang and Wilson up front. And then four premium defenders, and I think and I think Hazard and Salah are in there as well. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, for me, I think I'll, I'll be looking to have maximum two strikers and then push the money back because I think there's more value there. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, Adam, um, with a lot of your points made there. I think there's definitely map value for the money in um, in the defence, as I've been saying all season. Um, you know, But there's been game weeks where I've played five defenders, some four defenders, sometimes three defenders as well. And it often depends on the fixtures. And I think it's quite important to have a bit of squad diversity that allows you to kind of, you know, shift formation whenever it's required. Um, for instance, I've got uh, Brooks as my fifth midfielder. I've also got... Danny Ings, hopefully he's fit again soon because there's not too many replacements for him at that price, unfortunately. But um, if it was a case that Brooks and Ings had an easy fixture and then Wan-Bissaka was playing Manchester City and, and Doherty had um, 
you know, Liverpool, then I would probably go three at the back. But conversely, if Brooks and Ings had tough um, fixtures and all of my five defenders had really nice fixtures, I'd probably line up at, at five at the back. And I know this opens up a little bit of a risk from, you know, bench points. For instance, when I, I think the bench got a tee the other week um, against Spurs and he got a, um, an assist. And um, I've missed out on lots of Wambasaka clean sheets all season. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's definitely um, worth, you know, experimenting with structures. But I am quite keen on, on the five-man defence. You know, I, if I could, I'd probably try and swap success and uh, Brooks and get a seven-man defence if the system allowed me and get TAA and Pereira in. Because, it's you know, I like these guys a lot, but struggling to, to fit them into the, uh, the mould of my team right now. I think that in, in this regard, it, it's really interesting, especially with regards to the next question as well, which is from Lee from FPL Family, who asked if the third striker is a success-ridden write-off or whether you know, the likes of Solanke, Andone or Camera will do the job. But, you know, I've, I think we've both been running with 3-5-2 slash 4-4-2 for quite a while. And as Adam's just kind of highlighted with that tweet, a lot of the time, that seems to be the most effective formation. The value is at the back, the value is in the midfield. And to some extent, the, the strikers, you, you were happy with too. Like, if you could take the option to go to uh, six midfielders or six, seven defenders, and you definitely do it at, at this point. Because if you look at, you know, a 4.5 defender doing very well versus a, a 4.5 striker doing uh, nothing, um, the, the value is there for all to see. But on this third striker point, I know that that's something that you, Nick, have been speaking about a little bit. Uh, Adam, what do you reckon in this regard? I'm, I'm personally looking to move, move away and I'll be bringing in Camera. Um, I think he's okay for... He'll do a job off the bench. He, st- he seems to get game time and gets the odd goal. So, and you're never going to be tempted to start him. So, so there's no benching headaches there. So I, I think there's a few people to potentially look at if you do want to play three up the front. You've mentioned Ashley Barnes. I think one of the to watch out for if the move happens would be Tammy Abraham at Wolves. I've watched him a lot at Villa this year. He's been brilliant. He's a proper goal scorer. He seems to have developed a little bit more since it's his time at Swansea. Um, so he would be somebody of interest. And I think he'll feed really well off Jimenez and whoever else they play up, up, up top. So I think he could, he could possibly be an option. I think another forward um, who's gone to the radar massively is Zaha. So I think he's gone down to six so it might be a little bit expensive for the third um, forward slot. But the, the one key thing is Ben Teke's on the verge of coming back. And when Ben Teke plays, I think he makes Zaha a better player because of how he distracts, distracts players. And he gets, you know, Ben Teke on his days is very, very capable. I think he had a terrible year last year. But the season before, I think he got 15 goals. But I think he can actually make Zaha a better player and almost be like a foil. And I think that's the, the thing that Zaha's missed this year. Because if you look at it, his goals and assists are really, really low. But towards the end of last season, and when Ben Tech is in the side, he looks a lot better. Um, i trying to think if there's any other people to mention. I think Rondon had a good run, but his fixtures are tough coming up. So maybe look at him in game week 26. But I think as we've talked about, I personally am looking to come off. I have him and Ezra probably be my second striker um yeah so I don't I, I think there's more value elsewhere to be had 
Yeah, I think we're, we're often stretching when we start talking about the likes of uh, Benteke and, and Rondon <laughs> in terms of first striker conversations. So FPL family, Lee, he mentions camera. You know, he's kind of fallen out of the picture to a certain extent with Ranieri after he tried to, to claim a penalty and then, of course, missed it, which was a bit of a disaster as well. But then he scored the bench, so maybe he's, he might be back in favour. Didn't uh, feature at all in the FA Cup match today, incidentally. And, and Dono, I mean, he scored in... The, in the FA Cup. Um, I think um, with those sort of forwards, Abraham's a very interesting case, but, you know, he did struggle at Swansea um, when he played there previously. And we talked about uh, championship footballers, you know, they tend to smash it in the championship often, um, but tend to struggle in the Premier League. I think the, the sort of ultimate case that we once uh, talked about was Patrick Bamford um, sort of doing a paddy sort of when he, he would do really well in the championship, but never, never deliver in the, in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I have concerns in this position a fair bit with um, my Ings injury now, but I think I'm just going to go for a, a one-man forwards and just have Aubameyang next game week and, and see how I get on. I mentioned earlier with looking around for a Callum Wilson sort of, uh, sort of area. Like, I think, I think there's so many caveats around players. Like, if you can't get Rashford, which is a situation I'm in, unless I take a minus eight, it doesn't seem worth it. Like, with, you know, Solanke, for example, injured until February. <laughs> wow, what, what a bit of business that was by Liverpool. And uh, Abraham, um, you can just see official FPL pricing him at six, 6.5. Like, something just ridiculous. You know, base it off the hype. You know, if Sessegnon, for example, was 6.5 at the start of the season, my favourite man in FPL, Emil and Benza, uh, was 6.0 at the start of the season. God only knows what they're going to put Tammy at. But he was one that we really liked based on his Bristol City uh, performance. And as you're right, Adam, like he was one that we characterised as a bit of a poacher. Um, they're very much in the kind of uh, an Aubameyang-light sort of uh, character. So he could definitely be one uh, that's worth watching, especially with the fixtures as they are. It would be worrying, I guess, if you're a Jimmy owner, um, if he does turn to kind of a Giroud sort of character, just setting up Abraham. But um, yeah, one to watch. But for me now, I'm happy with success as being the third bencher and pushing that money backwards. I may even join Nick, you know, buy uh, Barnes and see what happens there, or maybe even buy AK-47 camera. I don't think he'll be pushed out. I think he'll just be, uh, you know, brought on every now and again to take and miss a penalty. Who knows? Although I do know that Mitrovic missed one, so maybe he'll be back on penalties. All right. Uh, the next question is one for Adam. Uh, is rubbish manager Tom89, who mentions that he managed to increase his rank by tenfold over Christmas and is now rolling with Hazard, Kane and, and Alba. Doesn't have Salah. Um, so who should be sacrificed for Salah in? There are lots of people who ask about top premiums. We've mentioned it a little bit already. Uh, FPL president, for example, asked about this too. Uh, so Adam, if you were advising this mystery man um, in terms of what to do next, uh, what do you reckon would be kind of the, the port of call there? What kind of thinking would you advise him uh, with Hazard, Kane and Alba? Uh, who should be sacrificed to, uh, to get Mo back in? I think the first thing that you probably want to consider, and this would be down to individual preference, is alongside Salah, who would you captain what weeks? Who would you be confident captain in? If you've got Kane in and you're not going to captain him in any games, I think 12.6 is too much per- personally. And I think we're better off because what is his points per game? Uh, six points, it's 6.2 without checks. But he's... Um, I just don't think it's worth it unless you're going to intend to captain him. I think if you do intend to captain alongside Salah, it's a totally different conversation. I think it's worth, worth, worth keeping him and losing one of the other assets. So I think the first thing to do is go through the fixture ticker, work out which players you would captain when and you'd feel most confident in captaining. Um, 
I think the other thing to look at as well is Kane's a little bit more than Auburn and um, Hazard is what would you do with the extra money? If nothing, and or you've got a really good budget alternative, then again, it might be you're happy to lose um, Aubameyang or Hazard. I think Aubameyang's stats are really good at the moment. Um, I think out of the three, having reflected on it, Hazard's the one that that probably concerns me. I, I, over the last two, it's not Hazard. It's exactly what Nick said. It's it's his teammates. Now, what will probably happen in the next week or so is that will go one way or the other. I'm hoping Murata packs his bags back back to um, back to Spain, goes to I think it's talking of Sevilla potentially. That would actually improve Hazard in my opinion. So either be false nine or be playing with Giroud, or potentially there's been talk of um, Cavani today. So that would, for me, really increase the prospects of Hazard. We, I know we're going to talk about it in a bit around the, the Son effect. It depends what you think of that as well, because um, when you look at, at the, the, um, the stats before and after Son's been there, and admittedly there's been other players like Ali and Ericsson that have impacted him. Out of the three, and it's mad that I'm possibly considering Salim, the one that I expect to do fairly well and be consistent is, is Aubameyang. Because I think since he's been in the league, he's just been very consistent. I mean, he's got 10 goals and three assists last season. He's he, similar ratio again this season. His stats are good. So I think and he's, good, he's a good price and he'll get all of Arsenal's returns. I, I would expect him to score fairly well. He's got Cardiff at home. I think in the next seven or eight, he's got Huddersfield, Southampton. So there's good fixtures there. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a real raw rumble between the three of them, isn't it? And to some extent, it is about, you mentioned earlier, about it being you know, circumstantial to your team and being all about kind of what you think is best um, and how you're set up and the, the limitations that you have. It's a case of, for this mystery individual and for the likes of FPL President, I'm putting, FPL President's a fig leaf here. It's basically, you know, it could be me that we're talking about. It could be. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where it's kind of like you're going to make a, a pretty poor decision either way, potentially, because you probably wouldn't want to be selling Kane on paper with those fixtures ahead. It's kind of looking at that context, trying to understand how the stat, the context, how these things all fit together and which one may be the best because Kane's a little bit more expensive and if I bring Salah in, I'm probably not going to be captaining Kane, so maybe he is the one to go. Um, but it just feels like one of those decisions that will never, ever be forgotten again, a lot like uh, selling Salah for, before his hat-trick because I'm, I'm betting that Kane now goes on a run which sees him win the Golden Boot. Uh, Nick, uh, you've got a, a little bit of a different situation to me, don't you? Yeah, I do have a different situation and yeah, I... I'm actually thinking of doing the opposite and, and bringing in Kane in a game week. Um, and uh, this is because obviously Son's going away. And I think Matthew Halliday asked a question actually about this. He said, what's um, Spurs going to be like without Spawn? And, to- and Toby asked, who do we replace him with? For me, I think um, Kane will be the player that I bring in, not this game week, but in game week 23 to cover Son and then probably um, downgrade Son um, to Richarlison. So I'm thinking of actually setting Aubameyang and if, if you're going to sell Kane, I'm going to bring him in. And then Kane, um, after your unmasking of Kane, I think it's just going to be Raw is War, isn't it? And you'll be calling in that Undertaker as Kane is most likely going to get a hat-trick against Fulham away and knowing your luck this season, Tom. So um, when in doubt, do the opposite of you, it seems, I think, perhaps. But, um, what? You know, what? <laughs> but I think uh, for me, I think Kane is the, is the player to keep still, personally. I think overall Bamiyang, but... My circumstances are slightly different because Arsenal have that West Ham fixture away and West Ham have been one of the poorest defences this season. Spurs have uh, Manchester United. So if you're making a move this week, 
you know, looking at the fixtures, Aubameyang seems like the one to keep. But then after that, they've got Chelsea at home and Spurs have Fulham away. So, you know, I, I don't really want Aubameyang for Chelsea. Then, you know, they've got a nice fixture at Cardiff at home. But after that, it's another tough fixture in Manchester City away. While Spurs have, uh, you know, fixture run of Watford at home, Newcastle at home. And I've been playing so much premium ping pong this season that I'll probably get Aubameyang back in by game week 26 for that Huddersfield away match. So, you know, I think it's, um, for me, I think there's definitely a case of um, keeping Kane. And I think, um, obviously, without Son, they might look weaker. But they do have, you know, other players um, in the team that can come in and play a supporting role. Mora might come in. Um, Lorente might even get some minutes. And I still think there's definitely um, a case of, I know you're thinking about somehow fitting in Ali or Ericsson as, as your Spurs coverage for the next um, number of fixtures, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, I think that that might be the way. It's not the case that I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to get rid of Kane and I'm going to uh, you know, avoid and shun Spurs for for that kind of uh, period. I, don't think I'll be getting Lucas Moura in 6.9. That's a little bit, that's, 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 that's quite a, yeah. No, definitely not, Tom. Stay away, Tom. Um, but, you know, you've got the Mellor as well, kind of. No, again, stay away. Um, so it would kind of be Ali or Ericsson. I think you'd have to kind of fit in there. I do, I do know what you mean. And there is the option to roll it this week. And uh, I hope that Adam's analysis of uh, how solid Brighton are, for example, uh, means that they're a little bit more quiet um, Liverpool uh, against uh, against them and then kind of use two free transfers to then do everything that I want then um on this son question then i know you're both owners there's probably a bit more for you and nick is obviously a spurs fan um what what do you think it's going to be like without son for spurs and uh, who are you looking to replace him with Uh, let's go for adam first there i'm replacing anderson for salah and then i'll son next week probably for ericsson or sane possibly ali as well would, would come into my thinking he has been absolutely exceptional the last 10 game weeks he's been the, the best player in, in, in the game and um, you know some of the stats he's returned are absolutely I think Lucas Mora and Lamella do not offer what Son does and they're, they're, I mean Mora might offer the runs in behind but just he's just not at the same level so I think it possibly will have an impact on Kane um, I think as long as Ali and Ericsson play though he should be okay um, and I still fancy him to do well. I think the fixtures, Fulham, Watford and Newcastle, the Fulham game in particular, I think I'd email that as the hat-trick game um, out of the three. I, just can see, I can see those three, him doing well. So um, I've got a t- contingency plan to get him in if I need him for um, the Newcastle and Watford game, and I'll probably have Ericsson Rally for the, the Fulham game. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I do think... I do, I do think Son is going to be a huge, huge miss for Spurs. Yeah, I definitely think that they'll, they'll be weaker without Son. But, uh, you know, they they have been, um, you know, getting six goals, five goals, four goals, pretty much every game over Christmas um, and with the sort of the Wolves game as, as being one outlier. So, you know, I still think that they'll, they'll be strong um, over the next uh, five or so games and, uh, yeah, especially that Fulham game away, which looks particularly tasty. But I think um, in terms of a Son replacement in midfield, I'll be probably, um, you know, looking around the likes of Richardson and uh, Felipe Anderson. So definitely seem to be going against the meta, considering those guys seem to be transferred out this game week. But Richardson, I think, is my first choice at the moment. I've only owned him one game week this season where he got red. We decided to headbutt someone and got sent off. So, um, I mean, minus two points overall for, for the season for him. But I mentioned um, earlier on the pod, Everton's great fixtures, you know, Bournemouth this week, but then Southampton, Huddersfield, Wolves, Watford, and the fact that he's, he's right up there in terms of the underlying stats, you know, second 
for uh, shots inside the box this season. Has been playing out of position, but uh, I think he's recently been shuttled back onto the left wing as um, Marcus Silva seems to be giving Dominic Calvert-Lewin some, some uh, minutes. And he's Dominic Calvert-Lewin's obviously another person we didn't mention as possible first striker to look at. But yeah, I think for me, it's uh, Richarlison um, that would probably come in for Son and then like, use that funds to upgrade Aubameyang to Kane. I think, I think one of the points to mention on Spurs... Their fixture schedule is an absolute nightmare between now and mid and, and February. So they've got the League Cup semi-final against Chelsea. Um, they're obviously going to have the FA Cup next round. I think the gap between the Newcastle um, and Watford game isn't much at all. It's, the, you know, it's, it's similar to what it was over, over Christmas. And I think they've got a lot of home games coming up. And I think that pitch is very, very draining. Assuming they don't move ground, and I've not heard anything uh, anything about that um, prior prior to those matches, so I think think they struggled with that schedule, and the fact they haven't got Son puts more of a strain on Kane. Um, that could go one of two ways. I think if he's scoring, you know, it, it could have a momentum factor and be positive. If he if if Spurs are struggling, then it could have the opposite factor, and actually they could become really tired and fatigued. Yeah, absolutely. I understand that. And uh, I guess with, with Son, there is kind of a third option, which is to hold him. Uh, a few people that have been saying they'll do that. Um, but as a non-Son owner who's looking to buy him in when he gets back, can I just say, I wish the Taegut Warriors, South Korea, all the very best of luck. I, I hope that they're there in, in the Philippines for as long as they possibly can be. And I also hope uh, that there's a non-fatal sort of in, sort of thing going on there that means the final is delayed, you know, like a, a loose rattlesnake or something like that, which means that he it stays there for longer. More people sell and his price drops and drops and drops. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely one to be buying in as soon as he's back and uh, his importance to Spurs cannot be overstated based on the Christmas period. Okay, uh, let's move on to the end of the pod then. And uh, transfers and captains this week ahead, obviously. Um, we've still got uh, a couple more, one more FA Cup game at Liverpool and we've still got the League Cup to go. Um, but it's good to hear some kind of background thoughts, I guess, for you guys. Uh, Nick, what are you thinking of doing first off? So I'm going to try and be stone cold this uh, this game week and roll my transfer if I can. Um, and then that will give me two free transfers to make the the son to the Charleston or the K move the next game without taking a hit. So hopefully there's no injury crises. You know, hopefully everyone stays fit. I've already got Danny Ings injured, but he was um, always going to be benched for me this game week. And I've still got, you know, other players that might come off the bench like Doherty. So yeah, for me, it looks like I'm going to be rolling. Um, in terms of captains, I've got it on um, Mo Salah at the moment uh, for the Brighton away fixture. There's not any real sort of standout options. I think the other one maybe that I might think about is Aubameyang, who's got West Ham away. But right now, I think I'm going to go with um, with Mo as as my captain this game week. Uh, what about yourself, Adam? Uh, what are you planning in terms of transfers and captains? So I'm reluctantly going to be taking, as, as things stand, I'm reluctantly going to be getting rid of Aubameyang. It was always part of the plan and I think I'm going to, going to stick to it. I'm bringing in the penalty king, Kamara. Um, he'll, he'll just be on the bench and then the plan is to move to a bigger midfield and I'm going to be bringing Salah in. Um, I feel I've got to submit and tap out and bring him, bring him into the, to the equation. Not just the ownership side of things, but he's keeping it simple he's the the number nine in the he's playing as number nine in the best team in the country or one of the best teams in the country who would go in for the title you know and 
So I think he has to he has to come back in for me. Um, and I'll probably captain captain Salah. Um, that, so that's what I'm looking at at the moment. I've been messing around with it on ways I could keep Aubameyang, but I think the, the big thing is I don't, I don't like two of his next four fixtures. So what I may do, and I think something that that you mentioned, Nick, is actually bring him back in and tag him back in in three or four three or four matches. I think when the Huddersfield game comes in, because he's got a nice run of three or four fixtures there. So that would be a good time to potentially bring him back in, depending on how Hazard's doing. Also, depending, I think around that time, you've got, you will know who's in the um, League Cup final. And it could be Spurs, it could be Chelsea. So there'll be some options to, to, get, you know, to get rid of, rid of those players. Oh, it certainly makes sense. And uh, yeah, also captaining uh, Salah as my initial kind of thought. Um, I think the men of White Coats need to kind of take me away, though, because I am I'm considering Captain Aubameyang this week against West Ham. Uh, if I do roll the transfer, that'll be what I do. If I don't roll the transfer, then I'm probably going to be compelled to put it on, uh, on Mo Salah, uh, lest I have some hell in the cell in the, uh, in the psychiatry ward there, if not doing so. Um, probably be looking at bringing in somebody for Kane. I've got 6.97 to spend on whoever I replace came with um, I'm looking at actually Barnes there really and just having 1.5 1.6 million to spend elsewhere um, that could be done this week that could be done next week but I think the imperative is to get a Liverpool defender in ahead of that home game in Crystal Palace which you know, could be a 1-0 or 2-0 or something like that but I fully expect Liverpool to keep a clean sheet there so I think that'll probably be what I do um, let's see what happens in the cup all right, there's a theme every week. Uh, last time it was Home Alone, of course. Now, there were many, many glasses of Baileys consumed, many, many mince pies eaten since then. So we can't be sure who actually got it. Uh, but Lee Bishop and John O'Forward, we think, came in around the same time. So very many congratulations, guys. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Um, and yeah, if you don't know who we are, of course you do. But we are Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL or online at whogottheassist.com. And if you want to join our league, our league code is 516-441. We were joined today by Adam Hopcroft. If you want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at ahopcroft13. Adam, great to to have you on board for the pod. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. Yeah, yeah. Thanks thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back next weekend after game week 22. Uh, we'll be lamenting uh, Kane's hat-trick after I sold him, of course. But for now, we hope this assisted you and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Right. Well done. Thank you very much, everybody, for doing that again. Let's just hope you didn't lose it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.